Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. I hope you'll enjoy today's episode in my interview with Shauna Leibowitz-Gainer, who is a columnist on careers in the workplace for Business Insider. And she is also the author of a book that she just recently published called Don't Call It Quits, the Turn the Job You Have into the Job That You Love. This is actually a recording of an interview from another podcast that I host. But given so many of the MBA Insider listeners are thinking about their jobs and careers right now, I figured it would be good to share this episode here too. Shauna has been covering the career in the workplace for years. She's interviewed hundreds of professionals as well as leaders and employees about um, how to navigate a career in today's world of work. And I think you'll really enjoy this conversation I had. Uh, we covered a lot of different topics, but really at the central core of this is the idea of if you are in a job where it's not ideal, but perhaps you don't want to quit right away, uh, what kind of agency or, or opportunity do you have to navigate through that? But we also talked about some more, uh, if you will, existential questions about careers in the workplace in terms of what do we want out of our jobs? What role does meaning play within them? And also, what specifically are the responsibilities of employees and managers in terms of navigating careers in the workplace? Uh, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right. Shauna Leibowitz-Gainer, who is the economist for Insider and the author of Don't Call It Quits, Turn the Job You Have into the Job That You Love. Shauna, thank you so much for being here. I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question to you, I thought it was apropos just given what you do for a living and also what you cover, but what was your first job growing up? Turn your job you have into the job that you love. This is a topic that is timely given all the topics around the great resignation, quiet quitting, and just employee engagement in general these days. But Shauna has been exploring careers in the workplace for many years, has written many stories and done plenty of research on this topic. She actually came up with a book idea, I believe, before COVID-19 and the global pandemic, but it certainly took on a new form and new meaning as a result of the changes in the workplace and the changes in life during that time. Um, I've actually known Shauna for many years. We've She's interviewed me for a number of articles she's written in the past. and. I, funny enough, I'm also actually featured in this book, uh, so you have to buy it to read it to learn more. But I really enjoyed this conversation with Shauna and talking to her just about some of the observations she's seen uh, from the evolving workplace over the years of covering it, as well as really digging into what happens if you don't necessarily want to quit or leave your job, but it is not ideal in the state that it's in. And what kind of agency or control do you have as an employee to navigate through that? This is certainly something I've seen over and over again in the work that I do. And I'm really excited to share with you my conversation with Shauna so she can talk about it as well. So listen in and let me know what you think. All right. Shauna Leibowitz-Gainer, who is the economist for Insider and the author of Don't Call It Quits, Turn the Job You Have into the Job That You Love. Shauna, thank you so much for being here. I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question to you, I thought it was apropos just given what you do for a living and also what you cover, but what was your first job growing up? Think back to maybe your childhood or whenever that first job was for you. What was that first job and what were you doing? It's a, it's a good question, Al. My first job was working as a counselor at the sleepaway camp where I was also a camper. And um, my first summer, I had the youngest camper, so five-year-old girls, which, which was a tough job. Yeah, I definitely have had a lot of other folks who have been camp counselors either 
sleepaway camp, or in my case, I was a counselor at a, a basketball camp or a soccer camp and things like that. And it's always fun to go back and do the things that you probably went through yourself. I agree. So, I, I probably <laughs> was not the most responsible 16 year old, but thought they felt that I was. <laughs> yeah. Well, here we are talking about work. We've clearly matured since then, but I guess let's just start with you recently just wrote a book. So congratulations. And again, the name of the book is Don't Call It Quits. Turn the job you have into the job that you love. And I know this because I've known you for a while, but you have studied, observed, written, talked to lots of people about the workplace and careers for quite some time. But why did you decide to write this book? And what question were you trying to explore? Or what were you trying to study? Or what were you curious about that you decided, I'm going to write a book about this? Um, thank you for the congrats and for reading the book. So yes, as you mentioned, Al, I, I've covered jobs and careers in the workplace for Insider for a while. And I confess, I had the idea, the general idea for this book back in, I think, 2019 or maybe even 2018. So certainly pre-pandemic and pre the era of remote and hybrid work. And I noticed that a lot of these articles I was writing about what to do if you hate your job, how to quit your job, how to know if you hate your job and you need a career change, all these topics that centered around misery at work were performing frankly, really well and getting a lot of reader engagement. And I started thinking like, well, it seems like there are a lot of people who hate their jobs, but maybe I can give them some other ideas and guidance other than overhaul your life and career and make a change. And then of course the pandemic hit and the work, the workplace and workplace norms changed and the labor market changed dramatically almost overnight and they've continued to change a lot since then. And uh, in particular, people's feelings about their allegiance to their employer and feelings about how they want to spend their time on a daily basis, that keeps changing. So I, I felt and I continue to feel that this book is it's relevant in uncertain economic conditions and, and for people who ha are experiencing uncertainty in their own individual careers. So I want to talk about this within the context of the world of work we're in, but I want to put a pin in that for a second. And I want to go back to something because the other aspect of you writing this book is that you obviously have a career yourself. And I assume you thought about this within the context of your own career. And I think even there is a story, I think pretty early on, where you even talked about where you had an aha moment where you realized it wasn't just, I either love my job or I need to quit and run away, but perhaps there is some room in between I think with a, as a result of a conversation with an editor that you had or a managing editor that you had, could you share a little bit more just about that experience and how that unfolded? Absolutely. And you're right. I do share it in the book with the hopes that it's a relatable experience. So this was many years ago now. I was a few years into my job at Insider, formerly known as Business Insider, and I was just feeling frustrated, a little bit stuck. I felt like some of the assignments I was getting and the stories I was publishing were really, they were fun to write. And I felt like they were making a meaningful impact on our audience and they were, the topics were interesting. And then some other assignments I was getting quite a bit of, I felt were not so stimulating and maybe were not so interesting for readers. Sometimes we'd, I'd be asked to publish these slideshows of like, signs that this is happening to you or signs that this is your personality. 
And those those slideshows are really like they can be really substantive and readers can get a lot out of them in, in a short time. But I felt that in some cases I was only able to or I was able to only skim the surface of the topics that the slideshows were covering. And I just felt like that sort of assignment was sort of consuming all my time and energy. So as you mentioned, Al, I spoke to my editor at the time. And I'll say, by the way, that I, this experience stands out to me, like in my career memory, it stands out so vividly. And then I recently chatted with that editor and she didn't remember it at all. So it's really, it really made an impact on me, but maybe not anybody else. But in any case, I, she had asked us, a bunch of us on the team, to tell her about the best and worst parts of our job, so to speak. And I was pretty candid. And she said, okay, thank you for that feedback, and pretty much eliminated all those assignments that I just mentioned. And I moved forward from there. And my job got vast, there was a vast improvement in how I felt about it. I love that story for a number of reasons. Uh, Obviously, most notably, because you were able to with a pretty, I wouldn't say it was easy, but with a pretty quick, a swift kick, able to get to a better spot with a really small change. So I think that's one thing that really stands out. But the other thing that you said, which I think is really interesting, is that you, when you just mentioned that you talked to your managing editor about this and she didn't remember it, but it still has stuck with you to this day. And I think that goes to show you the power of being able to facilitate more dialogue and more opportunity and creativity between a people leader or a manager and their direct employees. And just the fact that still sticks with you and that made an impact on you, even though it was just one of the probably the things that she thought she was just doing as a means to just do her job. But that is also the power, I think, sometimes of helping people perform better or improve, grow their career just through small actions that you can take. I think you're exactly right, Al. And I'll add sort of as Uh, an addendum maybe or an addition to that story that I think if those assignments that I was resisting had been like performing really well and my performance started to suffer once I stopped doing that I think that might have been a different story but given that I was able to produce other types of uh, stories and content that you know performed okay instead of that I think that made a big difference. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is I was reading your book, and also just looking at just the general dialogue and discourse around the workplace today is around the stories and the mindsets and narratives that we have developed and told ourselves about work and about our careers. And even just as an example, the kind of the mindset of, if I don't love my job, I need to quit, right? Or that's really the only option that I have. And or certainly, okay, well, every job has parts that suck, and I just have to suck it up right? Not making judgments necessarily about those, but just those types of narratives and mindsets that we have, which articulate into how as individuals we view our, what we need to do in our careers and then take actions or not take actions against them. But as I was reading your book and just looking at the dialogue, that's something that comes up for me. I'm just curious, just riffing here, if, if you have any observations on that, either from the book you've done or just having lots of conversations with people about their careers and having them think through and talk about the decisions they've made or have not chosen to make. Yeah, I really appreciate, Al, that you mentioned something just now about not, I guess, observing the stories that you're telling yourself or the experiences you're having emotionally with, without judgment. 
And I think that's such a wonderful thing to do. It's also exceedingly challenging. I I think it was yesterday, even I was uh, chatting with a friend again about my own job and career. And I, I mentioned something that was bothering me, not even about my job, just about like the way my like work set up. And then I said something to him, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I, why am I feeling this way? Or why can't I make this work? And it was like, and he being a very good friend and smart person helped me realize that like bashing myself for feeling the way I did or having that issue was completely unproductive. So uh, there you go. And in response to your other comment or question, Al, about the stories we tell ourselves about our career or careers in general, we have to quit. We don't have to quit. I think it is, again, very hard to separate yourselves, separate yourself rather from those cultural or family narratives. But if you can even be aware that you're telling yourself this story and you're getting sort of trapped in this narrative, that that can be helpful. And realizing that there are other ways to use a terrible, horrible cliche, like other ways to write your own career story. I think the one of the areas where I see it come up quite a bit in the work that I do is I'm fortunate that I get to work with a lot of people who are really hardworking and really high achievers. And I think a lot of that sometimes, if I may prognosticate a little bit, comes from also being really successful in school, right? In terms of knowing and understanding that it, if I, this is what it takes to get an A. If this is what I do, then I will get an A, which in turn is a very good thing, which helps get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing after that. And one of the interesting things about going into the workplace and also building a career is that you're not always going to have someone who's going to tell you what an A is, or you're not always going to have, or you're not, you don't necessarily have to rely on other people always to tell you what tests that you want to take. And one of the things that I often uh, comes up in the work that I do is really kind of fundamentally going back and asking the question, well, what do you want to get an A in, right? Like what, what would really be an A for you? And in a lot of cases that, that may mean perhaps not necessarily trying to go on the path that you're on, but perhaps taking another path. Or in some cases, it potentially means being able to step out of a narrative that you've been telling yourself about what you need, what you ought to be doing or what you should be doing and into something else. And that can be really challenging. Or in, in some cases, it can be even again, keep going back to the dialogue and discourse of what's going on today and we're talking about the workplace, being able to hear other narratives that are out there and just wondering, how would that apply to me? Or does that even apply to me? Or that can apply to me because of the narrative that I have for what I think my career and work should be. I, I agree with all of those observations you just shared. And shout out to you, Al, because you appear in the book sharing some of these observations and more, which I think it's a, it's a really, that was one of the best interviews I had for the book, I will say. But I, to your point about what do you like personally want out of your career? What do you want your work life to look like? That's, yes, it, it is an under asked question or people don't ask it of themselves often enough. And specifically, I think that at least among knowledge workers in the US, I would say there's this idea. And I don't really know 100% where this idea comes from or who's perpetuating it. But the idea that like you have to work a lot and not just work a lot, but you have to be feel really attached to your job and your job is if not your entire identity it's it consumes much of your identity and for some people I think that works fine and that's true and 
that's comfortable, they're comfortable with that and it helps them thrive. And I think for other people, like it's not true. And it actually believing that there's something wrong with them for not feeling so invested and attached to their job. I think it's, we're doing those individuals a disservice when we make them feel like that. Yeah. Well, on that, I think it was chapter four, where you spend some time talking about finding meaning in your work. And I would love to have you talk about this within the context of what did you find after interviewing employees and leaders just about this topic? And I think this is a really good example of what you're talking about in the sense that there are absolutely people in today's world of work who do want to have and find meaning out of work. And certainly if you read a lot of the headlines, they'll often say, this generation is really seeking meaning in their job, or that generation is, or employees really need to care about this. So I would, a, I would love to hear what you learned from talking with leaders about this. But I also think it's a good example of, I think that is absolutely true for a lot of folks who go to work, but it may not be true necessarily for every single worker that is out there. That is a great point. When you conduct or take a look at surveys like that, first of all, yes, it's probably true that most people in any given generation are seeking some seeking meaning in their work in some capacity. It's also true that people may feel a little bit pressured into saying that when they answer the survey. But you asked, and I'm, I'm glad you did, about what I learned when I talked to employees and people leaders and scholars about meaning at work. I actually will go back to another book that I read recently. I, I was reading it just coincidentally while I was writing the book, but I ended up citing it. It's called The Ambition Decisions. I think that's what it's called. And these two excellent journalists wrote the book a few years ago. I won't break down the whole thing, but there is a really interesting insight that they share. They spoke to women who had graduated in their college class. And so now the women were, I think, maybe in their 40s, 50s. And a lot of them had pursued jobs and careers that they didn't necessarily find so meaningful at first. It was just it. They pursued it and then stuck with it because they were making a lot of money and able to provide for themselves and give their family the lifestyle they want. And also they were really good at it, like at the job. And they, in addition to just being good at it, they got a lot of accolades and praise because people saw how good they were at it. And so in a way it became meaningful, not in the sense that like, oh, I went to work today and I, I saved someone's life. They would have died if I didn't intervene, which is a wonderful thing. But it was me the sense being able to do their job well, and because of that, be able to provide for themselves and their family, that in itself was meaningful. And I, that really struck me. Yeah, I definitely can see that. And I think one of, the, one, of my, one of the folks that I follow and read a lot of, a guy by the name of Nick DeWitt, one of the things that he writes about a lot of times is this idea that people can find meaning in their life in different ways. And some of those people choose their job and their career as a place to, to find meaning where they very much see that as a vehicle where they get a lot of meeting out in life. Whereas other people more or less see their job or career as a means to finding other places to kind of get meaning. Where as a result of having this job, which I think you are articulating here, they're able to get other things in life that do provide the meeting. And the easiest example of that is when you do a job, you get income and income enables you to live the lifestyle that you want. In some cases, that can sustain the meeting that you're looking for. And then the last kind of way is to look at your whole life. And some of that meeting comes from work. Some of that meeting comes from some other thing that you do. Some of that meeting might come from the volunteer stuff you do. But it is a part of a portfolio of meeting, if you will. 
And I think that has a, was a really good, helpful kind of mental model for me when I've talked to folks about this to think about, hey, like for if you're a manager for your employees, you might have people who fit across the spectrum of this. And as a manager, it may look different for each employee. And so how do you think about that in terms of engaging them and also getting the most out of them for the time that they're there? But it does point to the fact that we all show up at work for different reasons. And that's always been true. That that is always been true. But but yeah, I, I think that was a really combining what you wrote about it and that kind of mental model was always really helpful for me to think about framing this idea and this concept of what does meaning really mean within the context of work and careers. Yeah, that's such a valuable insight and avenue to explore that you, you just mentioned, Ali, about knowing what we knowing what we know about you and I having spoken to ambitious professionals about where and how they find meaning in their jobs and why they show up to work, as you said, knowing that, like, how can we now shape the way managers and people lead, try to engage those employees? And how do we make it acceptable to, to know that not everybody is showing up because they're really enthused about Excel? Some people are really enthused about it, but not everybody. On that notion, I would love to, to talk about managers in particular. And I know that your intention with the book was really to help employees navigate those career challenges or decisions that they were making. But while I do think that is a very individual pursuit, it, individual employees exist within the context of an organization and the organizational culture. And the manager, direct manager, plays a pretty critical role in that. Since many of the things that you're talking about or these decisions do that manager, what role do you think managers really play in this in terms of helping people, particularly those who maybe do want to stay but don't and don't want to quit? Where do you see the manager coming into some of these conversations or dialogues or opportunities? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying about that. I admit I've almost never had a management role myself. So this is based on just talking to other leaders about their experiences. And I do think being a manager, especially being a middle manager these days, like it's tough and always has been. Your, your allegiance is sort of split between the organization in general. You are there to get what you need to get out of your people in, so that the organization can meet its goals and sustain itself. Or yeah, And then your allegiance is also to the people you manage. Like how can you make their experience at this workplace the best it can be, presumably also so that they can produce what they need to produce for the organization. The wonderful and tricky thing is that every manager, like every employee is different and every manager's relationship with their employee is different. But I, I really do think candor is the best the best way to go. I don't necessarily mean telling your employee like that project you turned in was the worst thing I'd ever seen. But really saying, e even a candid observation, it seems like you're not really invested in the assignments or the work that you've been doing? How can I help you do a better job on these on this work? And or do you is there a problem with the work or the workflow that you noticed? Or is are is there a, another way you think you can contribute more and better to to this team besides what you're currently doing? I think those kinds of conversations don't happen often, but when they do, they're very fruitful. Yeah, I, I often I'm reminded of some of the work that Kim Scott has done with her book, Radical Candor. And she always describes radical candor as the sweet spot between managers who are obnoxiously aggressive on one side, and then ruinously empathetic on the other, and really finding that middle ground where you, you can be open and transparent, but you can do so in a way 
that demonstrates above all your care and concern for the individual and it is a it is not an easy needle to thread at times and certainly takes practice and to to your point i do think that being a manager being a people manager has always been challenging for different reasons but in today's world they really are squeezed in the middle in terms of knowing what they have to get done and the outcomes they need to hit as well as trying to do so in a way that does enable their people to thrive and succeed. And sometimes those things may seem to be at odds. And I I think that is where the crux of being a manager does come back to being able to have good decision making and sound principles around not only how do we get work done, but also how do we make sure that people are put in positions where they can be at their best in order to get the work done. Because sometimes that means pushing them a little bit harder to maybe get something done. And even if it isn't something that they want to do. And other times it may mean throttling back and having that judgment and decision-making to know what to do when. I think there's no exact science, right? It's a lot It's a lot more art. I appreciate that you said that, yeah, about the judgment piece. I don't think I would have articulated it like that, but now that you said it, I think that's a perfect way to, to frame it. You, I think you've been a manager at, at points in your career, right, Al? Yeah, I have definitely always struggled with the radical candor in the sense that, if anything, I probably wasn't always as transparent as I could have been because I didn't want to make people feel bad. And that was always my blind spot as a manager of how do I overcome my own kind of blind spots of wanting to sugarcoat things because I was sensitive to how people would respond to if I don't say this in the right way, or if I don't bring it up, they're never going to know and that's going to hinder them even more. Right. And that plays out in other ways too, in terms of not being able to have those tough conversations where you do have to deliver tough feedback or where someone is not perhaps performing to the level that they're capable of or that they need to be doing in order to kind of be on the team. And finding that middle ground is really difficult, but that is also, that's why you're the manager and they're the employee, right? You have to be able to make those decisions. But on this notion of employees and managers, I did, because it's just too hard not to, I did want to talk a little bit about the phrase quiet quitting, if only because your book also has the word quits in it. Obviously, you did a lot of the research and published the book before this term came up. But just from what you know about your book and the work that you've done, but I would just be curious to hear your thoughts or perspectives about this. Thanks for asking. And I have to sneak it in. I, I It seems the term quiet quitting actually came from my colleague, Aki, her story about employees hosting at work, even as they've always been really ambitious and diving in. Anybody want to check out that story on on Insider? Anyway, but yeah. So I think that maybe the problem is that quiet quitting, like I don't really understand what the definition is. It seems like a little bit nebulous. If the definition is doing your job in a way that's like valuable to the organization and you're still getting paid, but you're not like driving yourself up the wall about it. That sounds very reasonable to me. And I think that setup works for a lot of people and isn't something to be ashamed of. I I think the maybe the issue, and I'll give you a, well, that's, I was going to say sneak peek, but by the time this podcast episode comes out, the article will be out a long time ago on, on Insider. But I, I am working on this article now about the, one of the problems inherent to quiet quitting, which is that if one employee or member of a team quiet quits in the sense that they just check out of their work responsibilities and the manager isn't really aware and work ends up, their work doesn't go away. It just falls on on their colleagues who are now like working extra hard and overtime. So, so the real 
issue with that, I have learned by speaking to some experts on the topic, is that the person who is checking out didn't really communicate that, didn't say why it was happening, and didn't say that they were planning to do it. And now just everybody is scrambling to pick up where they left off. And that's an issue with team dynamics in addition to your individual work performance. So that's my little take on it. I think part of what has been or what it's stirred off is that people are interpreting the phrase differently. And I think to a certain degree, that's what happens. People see something and they see it through the lens that they see it through. But what I do think has been interesting is I think it that while the term isn't new, the underlying fundamentals of what it's about are things that people have long thought about. And so I think that when people hear the term, depending on what your thoughts are, it does stir up a or conjures thoughts, ideas, and feelings about how you perceive some of those issues in a way that is very personal. Because work is very personal, right? The way that you see things is personal. And the other thing that I've honestly been thinking about is the fact that going back to the manager, if you're in a position where you're wondering if your employees are quiet quitting or not as a manager, I think the bigger, broader question is how, to what degree are you engaged in an understanding where they are, what they're contributing to, what their opportunities are, what their challenges are, how they perceive their job and their role, right? Because I think my assumption is that if you are a manager who has an understanding of some of those things, you can also be a manager who if you need to shift work around to other employees, either because of skill sets or interests or demands, you that is part of your job and you have the ability in the agency or you should have the agency to be able to do that. So there are times when I look at some of these things and I'm like, to the like uh, some of these things don't seem like they are, they shouldn't seem that they're the foreign because they are in theory part of the responsibilities of what managers should be doing anyway. That's a really, that's an interesting observation that at least the ideal manager or the most competent manager we could imagine would be able to, I guess they'd be able to prevent quiet quitting in the first place. But to the extent that it's already happening, they'd be able to sort of pick up on why and then reconfigure the work or redistribute the workload as necessary. But yeah, that's challenging. And it probably doesn't happen nearly as much as it should. And that's why there are so many people writing and talking about this stuff. Well, I, pulling it back to the example that you gave about you and your editor, right? I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily categorize that as quiet quitting, but I, up until your manager asked, I don't know this for sure, but it didn't sound like necessarily she was in too greatly in depth into how you were thinking and feeling. But she asked, and then she found out, and then she made a correction, and then what happened? You didn't quit. <laughs> there you go. I didn't quit, and I'll say this particular manager is like a very. I guess, yeah, it's true. She didn't know because she's not a mind reader, but she happens to be the kind of manager who like really, she'll ask you a question and she'll actually, as you said, listen to the answer and then make a change based on what you said, which from having had, you know, managers at, at other places and having talked to people who work for other managers is not always the case. So I got lucky. Right. And after reading your book, and I think that is one of the bigger takeaways that I got from this with respect to talking about career growth and development. I think that there's just got to be, there are more opportunities out there to have more of a dialogue around it, as opposed to just always waiting for the yearly performance conversation or evaluation or not doing it at all. Because of the fact on both sides of that equation of both the individual employee and the manager, there are more opportunities for people to win 
But the only way that happens is when you get a manager like yours who genuinely asks. And when you get an employee who is also willing to say, hey, I've thought about it. Here's what I'm here's what I like, or here's what I'm not like. Here's what I think I could do, which I think would make me more engaged, but also grow the business in whatever measurable way. Yeah. No, that's I hear I hear what you're saying about the sort of the necessity and the urgency for that kind of dialogue you mentioned. But like in the dialogue around what are other, well, I think you use the word opportunities. What are opportunities here for us to, to make the employees work experience better and at the same time, make their contribution to this organization stronger. And I don't think, I think more often than not, those two things are aligned. I guess sometimes they're, they clash, but yeah, you're, you're right that, that, that sort of, that dialogue doesn't happen often enough. And I, you would know this really well, Al, because not only have you been an employee at an organ, at many, a few organizations, I should say, but you work, I think if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when you, in terms of your consulting practice, you work with leaders, but also with rank and file employees, right? Yes. Yeah, no, for sure. And I've also lived it myself and I also do this and, and yeah, no, I know, I think there is, there is more opportunity for to have these dialogue and conversations. I think part of it stems from just it can be uncomfortable to do. And I also think that most people aren't really ever taught on how to on how to do these. I talked a little bit about this in your book, just in terms of you for a lot of us, we never are really taught about how to manage our careers in a strategic way, as well as really given a set of practical kind of consistent things that we should be doing to make sure that we are getting what we want out of the experience and that we're able to advocate for ourselves in those kinds of ways. And certainly, there is a lot more opportunity to give managers the right training they need to be a manager. And as a subset of one of those things that should come up is more, in my opinion, more development and opportunities around how to have career conversations and how to talk to employees about about growth. And I think those two things play together in the sense that if you're getting promoted into a manager type of role, but you yourself are a little shaky around how you're even thinking about your career or how you're, or you're trying to have conversations with your manager about your career. Well, then when you get put into a position where then well, not only do you have to think about that, but then you also have to be the other side of that for four, five, six, seven employees, that's going to show up in, in a lot of ways and not always in a lot of good ways unless you actually go and, and think about, well, how do I take this on or how do I do this in the right way? That makes sense. And again, not something I, I would have necessarily thought of on my own. But now that you've said it, specifically the point about managers who maybe never learned or don't know how to manage their own career development, now that's sort of having a ripple effect out to their employees. And yeah, I actually didn't think about it in those terms. But I yes, that certainly does happen. Um, I want to share a side story because but it is related to this. I had a alum of my alma mater reach out to me about a month ago. And this individual was a first-time manager. And a first-time manager at a relatively young age, I want to say they were about 24 or 25. But they're in a really scrappy organization. And they had worked really hard. So they got promoted into this role. And they, while they had some comfort in some areas, one thing that they weren't really comfortable about was around the people development and the career development component. And so they had reached out to me and said, Hey, I have a bunch of employees. I know that this is important, but I'm just not sure how to do it. And they gave me a couple scenarios of a couple of their employees. And so we just talked about and said, okay, here's what that might look like, or here's what you might think about in terms of the role that you can play. And so uh, probably about a week ago, they reached out to me and texted me and just said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that 
I had a conversation and for one of the employees, they were, they real, once we had that conversation, they realized that they were really interested in getting more experience within Salesforce. They use Salesforce to manage their kind of their sales data. And so the manager was able to work with the employee to put together a plan for how they can learn Salesforce. And the employee actually sat for their Salesforce administrator exam, passed it, and went from trend, from being a contractor to now a full-time employee. That was great, but he's 24 or 25. And he understands, or he's got a data point of what good career management looks like as a manager. And so I think that goes to underscore, though, the power of learning how to do this, because he can't unsee that now, just like your manager can't unsee the impact of what happened with you. And that is a good data point for them to say, oh, if I did this, if I keep doing things like this, I could be effective in this way. And so I said to this individual, I don't know what your career is going to hold as a manager, but I know you're going to be fine because you're asking this question at such a young age that a lot of other managers I work with never ask. And so I have a feeling that you will be just fine. But it was one of those moments where, and that's why I go back to this. If you learn how to do it and you start getting good reps, I do think it compounds over time and just makes you a better manager. Yeah. I like what you said just now that you told the individual who reached out to you that they're going to be fine, not solely, but mostly because they took the time and initiative to ask a question about how they could improve. And I, it's, I think we all know whether you're a manager or an individual contributor, it's all too easy to just be like, to say something like, I, I can do this, I got this, or I'm, yeah. I can, I'm going to figure it out. But sometimes like you, you need to admit you, you don't know how to do it and you need help and that's going to make you better. One thing I wanted to ask you about, you've been covering the workplace and careers for a few years now. And through your time covering this and writing stories in the book, I would be curious to know from your perspective, what's different about the workplace today that maybe wasn't true when you started writing stories and researching and covering careers in the workplace? I appreciate that question because I, I'd say a lot has changed and frankly, a lot has stayed the same. Surprisingly, much has stayed the same. In terms of what's changed, which was your actual question, I think this is true and not just because I've gotten increasingly invested in, in the topic of careers in the workplace from covering it, but I actually think people are paying more attention or maybe are, or are more engaged in things like HR management and career transitions and career opportunities. And that's, I think that is largely thanks to the effects of the pandemic in the US at least. I think the pandemic and everything that transpired in its wake kind of made everything we thought we knew about how to have a job and how to have a career that that kind of to use another cliche phrase that kind of went out the window i think because you, at the early on in the pandemic a lot of people were getting laid off and then later on in the pandemic a lot of people were quitting and it was hard to know what was coming next in terms of the economy and the labor market and it was hard to know what you wanted i think a lot of people started working from home and spending more time with their families and sort of took a second look at how they were spending their time and because of all this suddenly like things that were considered to be givens about how work worked people were just like more interested in questioning those things so that was kind of a meta answer and i mentioned hr i cover hr but i that industry and and has exploded and been transformed yeah. so i think that also is a, a recent change we're coming up on time here but before we closed i did want to ask you 
if there's someone out there who's listening to this who is in this position, maybe that you described, where things aren't going the way that you want them to, but you perhaps aren't willing yet to totally quit their job or you quit your job, what advice do you have in terms of what's maybe one, some, one thing that someone could do to get to a better place around coming up with ideas or opportunities to stay where they are, but perhaps make a change? Yeah, I will say that, well, the first thing I'll say is that I, if that person feels like there is a better opportunity out there for them, like a concrete one, and it will definitely be better than what's going on now, I think they should take it. So I definitely don't want to be the, the anti-quitting girl. <laughs> but I also want, and the reason I wrote this book is because I want to remind people that quitting is very rarely the only option. And that sometimes the no, just knowing you have other options and starting to explore them can be really freeing and can feel like a weight is lifted off your chest. And so to get a little more granular with this, I guess, hypothetical person, but hopefully there are people listening. So I think the first thing, I'll give you three things to do. One, figure out, harder than it sounds, figure out exactly what you don't like about your job. Like, because it, it, it's, it's almost definitely not, you don't, you almost definitely don't hate everything. Like there are probably one or two things that are really irking you. And from there, you can figure out maybe how to change them. The second one is, the second thing you can do is maybe if you deter, if you really feel like this is not, this is not the place where you want to spend much more time and it's really, things are just not working out. Like, can you identify one or two kind of skills that will help you in the job or career you really want next? And think about how like this current experience can help you develop those so that you will be more marketable and more appealing in your next to your next prospective employer. And I'll give you one more thing. I hope this doesn't seem like a cop out, but I'll tell you, you're not alone. I think I don't think most of us go around asking our coworkers like, so how do you feel about your job? You hate it or what? But a lot of people feel really stuck and really frustrated. And fortunately, if you ask a lot of people, they've it, it, although they felt stuck and frustrated, they've made it out. Like they've figured out ways or ways have happened to them of finding greater happiness and freedom at work. So there's hope out there for you. I think those are great pieces of advice. Shauna Leibowitz Gainer, thank you so much for joining today. If people want to find your book or read some of your articles, where can they go? Where can they find you? Thanks for having me, Al. You can find the book, Don't Call It Quits on Amazon or I think it's it's on it's in Barnes and Noble, and I think there are a lot of local libraries that I've seen getting the book on their shelves. And if you want to find my reporting for Insider, you okay? But you can go to Insider, and the section is called Strategy, and a bunch of my articles will be on there. Hi everyone, welcome to the MBA Insider podcast. I am your host Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers.